This is Moonshine and Scoreboards with Kevin, Landon, and Justin. Hello and welcome to Moonshine and Scoreboards, episode 18, and the first episode of 2024. I hope you all had a great holiday break, as I know that we all did. But before we dive into this week's episode, I do want to do a little bit of a housekeeping slash, I'm going to call it bar cleanup, and let you know a preview of what's to come for Moonshine and Scoreboards within the new year. Now, with college football finishing up, we did want to switch up the show a little bit, And you might be thinking, am I still going to get my pub dubs? Yes, you'll still get your pub dubs. Justin will still dominate everybody. And we're still going to preview big games in the college basketball and NBA landscape of things. Still talk about the news. Still talk about what's going on in sports. But we wanted to implement kind of a sort of discussion in the show, similar to how we did when we tackled the Michigan cheating scandal. So basically what we're going to do is every week we'll come in here We'll recap some big games, and we'll talk about our little discussion for the week, and then we'll do the pub dubs. And the thing with this discussion every week is that we want your input. So, for instance, today we're going to be talking about Tennessee football's report card for the year. If you're a Tennessee fan, we want to hear what your report card is. If you're an Ohio State fan, we want to know what you think about Ohio State. If you're a JMU fan, we want to know what you think about JMU. So let us know in the comments. Let us know in the Facebook group, tweet us, message us, I don't care, just let us know, and we'll, let, we'll read some on the show, maybe. Now, in the new year, there's also another little bit of something going on. Um, in June, I will become a dad, and so I will be stepping away uh, from the show for a little while. While, you know, I'm doing my dad duties, but I will be back for certain in time for college football and for the NFL season. So you might be wondering what's going to happen during the show during that time. Well, my two lovely co-hosts that are joining me this evening, Justin and Landon, are going to pilot this bad boy while I'm gone. And then I'll come back and whip everybody back into shape. But I do want to say, you know, I'm excited and we'll see what happens. But For now, let's tackle this evening's show. So, gentlemen, Justin, Landon, how are we doing this this evening? Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, Kevin, and congratulations. Officially, here on the podcast, we get to say, congratulations, new daddy. So exciting. Yeah, congratulations. Very excited for uh, the new addition to the family. And uh, the day we're recording this, we can say Happy New Year. The day this podcast drops... We will be past the uh, deadline imposed on Curb Your Enthusiasm for wishing anybody a happy new year. So uh, I think we're coming in technically under the wire for that. That's right. I just wanted to, you know, get, get my happy new year's wish in before, before I was, you know, time's up. Um, but yeah, I'm, we're, I'm excited for tonight's show. Before we dive in. To our bowl game recap, and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about about the bowl games. I do want to start the show off by congratulating Justin on winning his fantasy football league. Justin, congrats, my man. Oh, yeah. Long time coming. I got to say, you know, so Landon is the commissioner of this particular league that that I won this year. And this league's been around. This is our 11th season with this same group of people for the most part. And it's very competitive. 
I've come in second three times. I've come in last probably six times. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you ain't first, but, you're last. No, seriously, it's it's been real feast or famine for me in this league. Didn't know if I would ever win it, but this year I took a new approach to the draft. I really, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into it, and it, it's nice that it paid off. So thank you, thank you so much. The champ is here, and I'll enjoy this for the next, you know, six, seven months while I can because I know that next season is going to come quick and I'll be right back in the basement. And as the uh, commissioner of the Macho Man Championship League, let me publicly say congratulations. And uh, you are now number 10 in the draft order as the champ. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. Is. that's right. Good news. I got Kyron Williams and CJ Stroud as potential keepers for next year. So feel good about oh, that's that. A good, that's a good keeper. Yep. That's a good mm-hmm. your, uh, your keeper class is uh, very strong, but uh, you are not the only fantasy champion amongst us. Uh, Jay, are we? Question mark. Oh, the champ is also here. <laughs> Acknowledge me. That's right. <laughs> a lot of wrestling references being thrown around at the top of the show. I like this. <laughs> we like it. We like it. Yeah. Um, me and Justin also. I will also won my fantasy league. So nice. You're listening to a fantasy football championship podcast, basically. I feel is, like is and landed and landed. <laughs> <laughs> I at least, you know, made the playoffs and uh, got my ass trounced in uh, the first round. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> you, you, you got that going for you guys. But, Landon, you you have won your league in the past at least once, if not more than that. And you're usually in the playoffs and, and make it deep into the playoffs. So, this wasn't your year, but, uh, you know, um, you'll be back next year, I'm sure. So. Uh, to Jay's point, I've never missed the playoffs in the Macho Man Championship League, and I've also helped my dad run his team because he is uh, technologically illiterate. So every week I have to call him, tell him, A, how his team did, B, tell him who's on a bye, and C, tell him what players are available on uh, on the free agency uh, pool, so to speak, and help him craft his Move so uh last year i kind of helped him to a championship that's so true that's true yeah. you had a piece of that for sure yeah you're like, yeah. A, you're like an assistant gm is basically yeah. what you are <laughs> there we go yeah yeah i'll take <laughs> that <laughs> so you you get some cred um but yeah i also won my league no keepers uh but a live in-person draft and about 31 acquisitions later uh came through I want to be, give a big shout out to DJ Moore. Thank you very oh, yeah. much. Nice. Because you were you were a lifesaver for me. Uh as good old Cole Komet put up a zero burger in the championship game. DJ um, Moore surprisingly strong all year long, even though yeah. he had a shaky quarterback situation. So. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not throw shade <laughs> on the future there in Chicago. I think I think the QB's uh job is locked down by the man who is currently under center for De Bears in Justin Fields. That's right. I, I don't That's disagree. Right. I don't disagree with you, but he wasn't there all year. So that is true. That is true. They no, they had very up and down. They they had oh uh, Tyson Baguette or or Badget Tyson Badget for like four weeks uh, because he he hurt him he got hurt that's right yeah. yeah and even even before he got hurt as somebody who had to start Justin Fields in a keeper league it was very feast or famine there for a while <laughs> it was um but yeah to your point credit to your point Justin uh DJ Moore balled out pretty much all year I also had Kyron Williams. Pretty good about that. Felt felt very good about. I actually didn't draft him. I flipped him week one. 
uh, the guy that traded me him wanted Jameer Gibbs, and he gave me Kyron oh. Williams and Zay Flowers. Wow. Ooh, like, buddy, that's a steal. You <laughs> fleeced him. Wow. Zay Flowers He's... had a good season, and then Kyron Williams had an amazing season. Yeah, I felt, I mean, the, after that point, I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about my chances. Like, yeah. I had a stack team. But that's enough about, that's our fantasy football corner. Um, but that let you know it's bowl games bowl games are done uh we have our national championship um and i want to talk i'm not going to do talk about every bowl game of course we're gonna talk about the tennessee iowa massacre and we're gonna <laughs> dive into um the uh semifinals and then preview the national championship but real quick i just want to give some love to the other games uh we're just gonna ask our favorite bowl game of bowl season and then our breakout player during bowl season uh, with all the opt-outs. There was a lot of uh, players that typically wouldn't be playing that were playing. And so we got to see a lot of surprising performances to say the least. Um, so how about Justin, you start with your favorite bowl game of bowl season. Sure. Yeah. I, I think bowl season sort of got off to a slow start uh, for me in terms of interest and excitement in the games, even though a couple of them were close, but I just, it was hard to really care so much about Western Kentucky pulling out a big win in overtime over Old Dominion, like whoop-de-doo. Um, but uh, as we started to get into uh, deeper into December and some of the games uh, started to get more interesting because it's teams that we care about, I, I, I have to say, I, should, I, I know people care about Old Dominion and Western Kentucky, but but not me. Um, Not a lot of people don't. Worry. Yeah, <laughs> here, Justin. Why do you hate Old Dominion? Signed, Old Dominion's number one fan, right. James Dominion. <laughs> um, I will. I will say because um, th- there's a game that I know that we'll talk about in just a minute. I I think I'm gonna pick the Clemson Kentucky game as one of my favorite bowl games Ooh. because I'll tell you why. First of all, 28 points for Clemson in the fourth quarter is fun. Um, also Kentucky scored 14. So it was an exciting fourth quarter, but also the fact that Kentucky Kentucky the way that they always do and, uh, snatched a loss from the jaws of victory in this game. Uh, that was exciting for me. So, uh, way to go stoops. Uh, I hope you stay at Kentucky forever and I'm glad Texas A&M didn't want you and, uh, <laughs> congratulations to the Clemson Tigers. But I, I did enjoy, uh, watching how that game unfolded. Yeah, that was a good game. It was um, well. Well, it was technically nice a good quarter. The first three yeah. quarters of that game were kind of, eh, but that fourth quarter was mwah, phenomenal. So good. It was. It was. Um, okay, I guess I'll go next. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the surprise of nobody, <laughs> since I know we're going to talk about the Citrus Bowl. My favorite game was the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl <laughs> and watching the Notre Dame Fighting Irish kick the living shit out of Oregon State. That was, I was probably one of like five or six bowl games this entire bowl season that I watched start to finish. Um, but I, I did enjoy that. Uh, uh, Steve Angeli had a good game, 300 or three touchdowns and and 232 yards, but it was the Notre Dame defense that really bowled out. Um, and so that was that was nice to see with a lot of those guys coming back next year. Yeah. So I think that Notre Dame defense is going to be very good again. Um, was it a very contentious game or a close game? No, it wasn't. 
uh, but it was it was fun for me to watch. So sure. I enjoyed that game. Um, I guess we'll go to Landon next. I know he wanted to go last on both of these categories, and I'm assu- I'm kind <laughs> of wondering why he might have wanted to go last, being as we're talking about the Citrus Bowl next. But I'm I have a hunch that I know what his favorite bowl game was. So Landon, what was your favorite bowl game? Well, part of the reason I wanted to go last is because it might curtail into a conversation we're going to have later. But another reason I wanted to go last is I'm going to break the format a little bit. I want to give an honorable mention to the Pop-Tart Bowl because after watching that thing, I think going forward, every bowl needs to have an edible mascot, whether it be actual edible like the Pop-Tart. I thought Cheez-It really dropped the ball by not having their mascot be edible, standing up on stage with Hype and Nico, giving Nico his uh, bejeweled cheese it necklace and the cheese it championship belt, which I think he's going to challenge the winner of Roman Reigns and The Rock to uh, on night two of WrestleMania. Uh, or it's like the Tax Slayer Bowl, an edible uh, tax accountant. Yeah, that's right. The year 2024, we are going pro cannibalism here on Moonshines and Scoreboards. But my answer, the reason I said I'm breaking the format. I'm going to say every game that happened on New Year's Day because okay, I like that. Cuz kind of what to Jay's point, bowl season is an amazing time, but it kind of got off to a slow start. I mean, yeah. Bad quote unquote bad bowl games are better than no bowl games. It's kind of like the analogy, well, you know, bad pizza is better than no pizza. But I really felt like from top to bottom, maybe with the exception of the Liberty Organ game, every game that we got on New Year's Day was just so dang good. Well, maybe the Liberty Organ game, or if you were an Iowa fan, uh, <laughs> it was it was so dang good. Um, I know we're going to talk about the college football playoffs later in the show. I know we're going to talk about the uh, Citrus Bowl later in the show. So I'll talk about the, uh, the LSU-Wisconsin game. Uh, I really thought Wisconsin had that game locked up at several points, but LSU comes roaring back, no pun intended, them being the Bayou Bengals, and they did it without Jaden Daniels, too. You have to remember that. So I thought that was a very... Um, gutsy performance in the ReliaQuest Bowl by uh, the LSU uh, Tigers to take that win. Uh, but I thought, man, if you were a college football fan, you got presented a late Christmas gift on New Year's Day in the slew of great, great games we got to see. It was great. Yeah, yeah. New Year's Day delivered. The LSU game was yeah. a really good game. Very slept on. Um, but yeah, New Year's Day, like you said, Justin and Lynn, and it very much so delivered. Um, I mean, aside from the Tennessee game and then the Oregon game, all three games, all of the three other games were one position games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, we, we ate very good on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And plus the um, Liberty Oregon game, we got to see after the fact, uh, um, uh, but no, I'm thinking of a different game. I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, that was the, wait. Was it was it the Oregon uh, Liberty game where 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 the like forty five year old man was screaming at the players on the field? To, no, to, Texas to, Washington. That's right. Yeah, my bad. My bad. Yeah. Never mind. Ignore me. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> man, uh, yeah. talk about the, a loser. The Oregon Liberty game was where we saw a forty five year old man throwing touchdowns. 
in the first three quarters of the game. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is that is very true. Yeah, uh, next college football season is going to be the first one since 1971 to not have Bo Nix either on the sidelines <laughs> or under center. So, uh, and and uh, and it did show Bo uh, Bo Nix's parents getting a little glimpse, seeing their young old man's college career finally wrap up. Yeah, finally yeah, I, is the keyword I, there. <laughs> I saw a really funny graphic and I was talking about this like uh this class of quarterbacks going into the draft this year and comparing them to current starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And, and there's like six quarterbacks that are older than six other quarterbacks that like Str- CJ Stroud, uh Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis, you know, you've got all these young guys that are playing and then this crop of quarterbacks, they're they're older than all those people already in the NFL. It's really funny. Well, and, and it's, it's like really- I, I I know I know I just bagged on Bo Nix and it's like Michael Penix is still playing. Um, Michael Penix has been in college for a hot minute. There there have been yeah. thirteen like like thirteen Marvel movies had come out since he's been in college. Thirteen. Well, even like, what's crazy to me is how old do you guys think Bo Nix is? He's twenty five, isn't he? He's twenty three. Thirty seven. Oh. How old is he? Twenty three. So I'm like, dude, you've been in college. Like he was born in the year 2000. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you've been in college. It feels like he's been in college for like 10 years and he's only 23. And the same thing with Sam Hartman, Hartman, me and my grandfather were talking before the Notre Dame game. And I was like, Sam Hartman's got to be at least like 30 years old. He has to be. Dude's 24. He was born in 99. I was like, dude, I feel ancient. I I feel so old. (laughs) Sam Hartman has a full head of hair, a luscious beard, and I'm like freaking balding and have gray in my beard. I'm like, dude, 30 is is rough. 30 is going to be rough. All right, Kevin, slow slow it down, okay? You're you're dealing with a couple elders here on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You have a lot of hair. You shut. (laughs) Know your place. And to pull it back together, uh, to quote Tommy Callahan from Tommy Boy, you know, a lot of people go to college for seven years, Kevin. That's fine. <laughs> That's they used to be doctors, common. not yeah. college quarterbacks. It is, now they're college yeah. quarterbacks. I don't yeah. even go to class, probably. <laughs> um, let's talk about breakout players real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Justin, who was your breakout player during during bowl season? Uh, well, I've got a couple that I wanted to shout out. And, and the first, just because of who he followed, I feel like we've got to talk about USC's quarterback, uh, Moss. Um, 372 yards, six touchdowns against one interception in the in in the Holiday Bowl against Louisville. I mean, talk about stepping out of the shadows and just saying, "Hey, don't worry, Caleb Williams, you go on to the NFL. We'll we'll be fine." Um, that was impressive. That was impressive, especially mm-hmm. you know. I think USC also had another quarterback that's transferring out. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it looks like, and I and I think Louisville. Louisville, like I, I've thought all year that Louisville's a, a good team um, with a with a decent defense. So, did Sam Hartman throw for three seventy two and six touchdowns? No, Justin, he didn't. He <laughs> sure didn't. Man, just twisting that knife. So. He also didn't lose sixty three to three for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Double twisting the knife. I love it. New year, new us. Um. But but also I did I did want to give one more shout out to uh, to, to Nussmeyer the uh, the LSU quarterback three ninety five three touchdowns uh, playing behind Jaden Daniel like really like stepping out of the shadow of these Heisman candidate quarterbacks to 
put up these huge numbers in bowl games. Very impressive and and caught my eye for sure. Yeah. My 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 breakout player was Miller Moss, uh the USC quarterback. I mean, you you had you set a USC bowl game record with with six like you said with six touchdowns. You set a holiday re- bowl rec- holiday bowl record with six touchdowns. Um and uh, like you did say Justin that Louisville defense is very good. They didn't have a whole lot of opt-outs. So the majority of that defense was there, and he just shredded them. Um, so if you're a USC fan, you feel really good. You went from feeling really bad about USC next year, um, especially after Malachi Nelson transferred out, to you feel really good about USC with Miller Moss now. Um, and I guess the USC coaching staff feels really good because last I heard, they've kind of stopped recruiting uh, Will Howard, the Kansas State quarterback. Like he's – he the, he was crystal balled to USC, and now he's taking visits to Ohio State, Miami, and so it's like well, maybe mm-hmm. USC's kind of said, "We don't need you. We have somebody that's a sophomore <laughs> that we don't have to pay to come here. He can just already stay here." <laughs> I was watching Sports Center before we got started, and maybe by the time this uh, episode posts, uh, there will be some definitive place where he lands. Uh, they did still say he was planning on taking his visit to USC, but like you said, he is looking elsewhere, no longer just taking his talents to, uh, Southern California. And also speaking of quarterbacks, uh, and, and portal news, uh, y'all see, uh, KJ Jefferson's going to, uh, UCF. Oh yeah. 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 We and the Cam Ward's going, going to the NFL. Yeah. He's <laughs> turned down, uh, Miami. Turn, wow. I think it was – I'm pretty sure it was Miami that it was between either Miami or the NFL, and he was like, I'm good. Wow. Uh, well, Florida State got uh, DJ. Yeah, yeah DJ QB. I can't pronounce. Yeah. Well, DJ I'm QB. Sure you are happy about that, you honorary Florida State fan. You. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure you're all, all, all set with DJ QB uh, coming back to the ACC. Yeah, um, well, the girlfriend and her family are going to be thrilled with that because, I mean, Jordan Travis moving on. And, and I mean, you look at what they they did not have a story of a quarterback coming in and lighting it up, uh, stepping out of the shadows of their Heisman candidate quarterback. So, yeah, they, they needed oof. something. Yeah, they, they, they needed something. <laughs> that, that was, was uh, for anybody that's like, there's too many bowl games and, and the and college football's messed up and the bowl season's messed up. That was their talking point right yeah. there was that just absolute shellacking Georgia. I thought they were going to score like 80, 90 points. I did not think that they were going to stop at 63. I was like, they can, they, they can score as many as they want. And I honestly felt bad for Florida state after a little while. Um, but my breakout player, I, like I said, I did have Miller Moss, Justin took him from me. So I'm going to say now before you jump on my case, I know he plays at Kentucky. I know that they lost that they still lost their bowl game, and I'm sure he's gonna suck next year. But Barry and Brown, the wide receiver, who had, I believe, a kick return touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown, and all season before their Gator Bowl game against Clemson, he only scored four touchdowns all year. Um and he scored three in one game. Yeah. Um so he had a great game. He he did have a very good game, and so that was his performance was also impressive um, in, in the Gator Bowl against Clemson. Uh, luckily, they didn't win, but it was still a very <laughs> impressive performance. <laughs> yeah, good day at the office for him. Well, and he also had a fumble. 
And so, you know, that's true. He Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, he Kentucky'd it. Uh, Here comes Landon. Justin Durain on Kentucky's parade. I love it. Per usual, wouldn't expect yeah. anything else. Uh, nope. Landon, who do you think was your breakout player? The chosen the one, the prince <laughs> who was Chief. promised upon us, Nico Iamaliava, who will win as many Heisman's as he chooses. Nay, he will win all the Heisman's <laughs> as long as he lives upon Rocky Top in the Orange Hills of Tennessee. <clears throat> I thought Nico That's had a, a really answer. good day this uh, on uh, New Year's Day. Yeah, yeah, he, he he had a great game. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely lived up to the hype. I guess we can just transition into the uh, citrus bowl now, um, the cheese it citrus bowl. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, got to get that uh, corporate um, synergy right, even if they drop the ball by not having an edible mascot. But yeah, I mean, like you have to remember, this was a true freshman making his first start against a top five Iowa defense. Yes, I know they had opt-outs on the defensive side of the ball. So did everybody else this bowl season. But Nico had only had, what, like 52, 54 snaps under his belt in his college career. And he went out there. And I mean, yes, this th- even though I do say he is my breakout player of the bowl season, he went out there and didn't play like a freshman. And his passing line, I'll admit, does look rather pedestrian but I do have to point out it would look a whole hell of a lot better if Ramel Keaton would just have kept running and caught a yeah. walk-in touchdown untouched. We're going to get to Ramel Keaton later on, trust me. But um, And then on the ground, on the ground, Nico was three-co, three rushing touchdowns, 52 total yards. Now you got to take some away because he did get sacked six times, so that'll that'll take away some of his rushing yards. But um, – oh, he didn't turn the ball over either. You you have to be incredibly impressed from the freshman in Nico Iamaliava. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you have to be incredibly excited for the future as long as Nico is on campus. That's Nico right. is undefeated. He's exactly. Undefeated. He is. He is undefeated. And and you watched from your couch, Landon, I'm assuming, or, or from somewhere. From the I couch, yes. From the couch. I watched from my couch. And I was very impressed with the chosen one, the tribal chief himself from the couch uh, and him with the, he, he just looked very poised to me. He looked very in control the entire game. Didn't look very, you know, under duress. Like you said, he did get sacked a few times. Um, but even though they were good know, sacks, they were good. Yeah, sacks. He didn't take they, any big hits either. They, they weren't the sacks that we saw later on in the night, particularly in that Alabama Michigan game uh, where, where Milrow ran like 10, 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage and took a big sack. He realized, Oh crap, I don't have anywhere to go with it. So let's try and get as close to the line of scrimmage as possible and get a minimal loss or, or yeah. gain one yard in a couple instances where he did that. I thought he looked really poised and he was reading the, speed of the game incredibly well again for a true freshman making his first start against a top five defense in a bowl game yeah uh nico is the chosen one that's that's the consensus the prince who was promised upon us (laughs) that's right we were on the couch we had somebody with boots on the ground as as the laws turned orlando into orange lando uh justin how was your experience? Tell us about your experience at the Cheese at Citrus Bowl. Well, my expectations were high going into this game because I have attended a Citrus Bowl in the past. The previous time when Tennessee, actually the last time Tennessee played in the Citrus Bowl back in the 2002 season, 
uh, well, it was 2001, but the 2002 Citrus Bowl uh, on New Year's Day, Tennessee played Michigan, and we blew the doors off of that vaunted Michigan team and showed everybody. This was maybe the start of really everybody learning how fast the SEC was compared to the Big Ten because we made them look like they were running in mud all day long. And I will say, I had that bouncing around in my mind going into this game. I'm like, I I, I just feel, and, and I don't, look, I always, because I have a battered ball syndrome, I'm always going to have some doubts going into a game, no matter how confident I should or shouldn't feel. Um, but I started thinking about it, and I was like, I trust Josh Heupel as a coach, and he has shown that when he has time to prepare, that he comes up with a good game plan and he gets his team ready. So that made me feel good. I also felt confident in Nico's ability. And I think all of us, even though they didn't announce until about a week out that Joe Milton was sitting out of this game, I think it was in the back of all of our minds that that might be happening, that this might be Nico's game. And as it turns out, you know, pretty much confirmed, he took all of the number one reps for all of bowl practice. So he was getting ready, you know, and knowing we're going against a team that has the worst offense in all of college football, and we're a team that likes to score points. I just, I wasn't really worried. I was ready for a good day. And so I'm glad I didn't get disappointed. But let me just say, from an experience of a bowl game perspective, it wasn't the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I wish I had attended the Pop-Tarts Bowl, which was here in Camping World Stadium, the same the same stadium that they play the Citrus Bowl in. I wish I had gone. I could have gotten a ticket for like 30 bucks. I would have loved to be there in person to see the edible mascot. And I'd, I had some hopes that we would get those similar shenanigans in the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, but I will say this, the Pop-Tarts Bowl didn't have an on-the-field hot tub. We did at the Cheez-It Bowl. And, uh, what peop- was that? People were getting in it with their clothes on for some reason. That um, doesn't make sense. That is not how you hot tub. No. <laughs> <laughs> After the game was over, I think half the Tennessee team got in with their uniforms and shoes on. I'm like, at least take your shoes off. Jay, they, they, they just won the cheese at Citrus Bowl. They can do whatever they want. But, Landon, to get to your point about the Pop-Tarts Bowl early, earlier, if we're talking about off the field, just the environment of the game, what the, you know, everything that goes on, the ancillary stuff with the bowl game, I feel like as we continue to move down this path of the of playoffs expanding and these bowl games being less important, this is exactly what bowl games need to do. Make it about the fan experience. Do crazy stuff. Have edible mascots. Have all kinds of shenanigans, shenanigans, shenanigans going on because it makes it fun and exciting. And by the way, I don't know who the marketing executive was that came up with all this stuff for Pop-Tarts, but it's, I mean, they earned every bit of their annual paycheck just for that game. They need a uh, raise, honestly. Yeah. So, like... It was funny, though, because the Cheez-It mascot, when he was announced at the beginning, he came out of the big Cheez-It box, and then he had a sign that said, a non-edible mascot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was pretty funny. Um, I will say, so we were sitting in the plaza level. We were in section P2. Um, We were on the Tennessee sideline, and we were actually right above the Tennessee band, is essentially where our seats were. And uh, so the big Jumbotron was sort of on the other end of the field. The James Pierce touchdown happened right in front of us. It was beautiful. Um, so I saw that from a mile away, but, um, the, it was a great, like our seats were great. The, the bowl game was fun. The energy was great. It was surrounded by Tennessee fans, you know, like 20,000 of my closest friends were there for the game. Um, so I really enjoyed that, but to be there in person, to see Nico and, and be 
a part of his coming out party. And like you said, Lane, in his passing stats, not super impressive. But that didn't matter because we were going up against a defense. One of the, like you said, one of the top defenses in the country, top five defense in the country in terms of yardage and scoring. And and we were able to light them up on the ground. Dylan Sampson had himself a day. He Ooh. got overshadowed by the fact that everybody was so excited to see uh, Iamal, Iamaliava play. And, and Nico had a great game. But Dylan Sampson had a great de- game. And I don't know how James Pierce didn't get the MVP, honestly. He he was responsible for the strip sack. He got he got an interception, a pick six. He like he was disrupting plays all over the field. Um and I know like defensive players, they're they're sort of unsung, but he was making his presence known. He was responsible for 14 of our 35 points. So mm-hmm. um it was really it was really fun. It was it was great to be part of this. A fun fact. So Tennessee has had, I think they said like four other bowl games where a quarterback, a freshman quarterback has started. Um, one of them was Casey Clawson in the Cotton Bowl. I was there for that one. Result, not as good. So it was good to be there to see uh, Nico get this win. And um, here, here's some things that I saw in person. Hold on, hold on. It's, it's funny you you brought that up because on the on the ABC broadcast, they had a graphic and they flashed it up. ABC actually got that wrong on the broadcast. Oh, did they? Yeah, uh-huh. So, yeah, they did. And then, and then, of course, <laughs> they threw up the graphic of Peyton Manning and Nico's uh, first starts. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so let, so let the comparison and the hype begin. Yep, yep. I was like, once they threw that up, I was like, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like, great. Well, but the, bad th- the, the bad thing was uh, one of the bowl games they said uh, uh, that they won. It's like, I was at that game. I'm pretty sure they didn't win. <laughs> Wait, am I misremembering that? <laughs> Is ABC gaslighting me? <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll take the win, though. Oh, 1,000%. So, so, yeah. <laughs> we had to vacate all those Jeremy Pruitt wins. Let's go take back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. ABC said so. Give it back to us. Um, well, here's what I was going to say. Just viewing the game in person, there's a couple observations I had. First of all, the Iowa offense looks even worse in person. I don't, I don't know as an Iowa fan, if this is what they were watching all season long, I can't imagine paying the money to travel, to go to a bowl game and see this in person going up again. I don't know what they were thinking. You saw what happened against Michigan. You know that you don't have a quarterback. Deacon Hill, I'm sure he's a great guy, but my God, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He looked slow. It just... Well, there's a reason he looked slow. Well, his first his first interception... Well, the, <laughs> the interception he threw... He looked like Jared Lorenzen out there. I was like, damn, son. Hey. It's 2024. We can't be body shaming people, even though he, out, he, he was out there looking like a third string long snapper. Hey. I I don't even I don't think you can make the Jared Lorenzen comparison. Lorenzen was a good quarterback. Dude had a cannon. Yeah. Um. So and he wouldn't go down. You couldn't bring him down with the whole D line. So I mean, but like <laughs> Hill's interception to turn time was that not one of the worst passes you've ever seen in your life? And he didn't triple even have cover- pressure. Triple coverage. Yeah. No pressure. Threw it right to a Tennessee guy in the end zone. How do you do that? How do you do that? Um. Finish with the QBR. Of 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Um, so it's it was fun to see a shutout. It was fun to see us win the way we did. Um, my observation for Nico, first of all, I know you all know this, but seeing him in person, this is the second time I've seen him in person. 
that guy's got to put on some weight. He looks like a mm. beanpole. It, it looks like just wearing his helmet's going to snap him in half. So <laughs> he's got to put on a little weight to take the beating of an SEC schedule that he's going to get next year. Two, he's got to learn to slide or get out of bounds. He was sort of like fighting a little bit for extra yards in, in, in the game. And I know it's the end of the season and all that, but I'm, I'm worried about him. I'm, I'm worried about him. Two, there were a couple wide open receivers that he just never saw. Um, on the opening drive, Squirrel was in the slot and ran a post, and no Iowa player, I think, even knew Squirrel existed. He was 30 yards down the field, and and Nico was running. He was running to his right and ended up throwing it to, um, I think, Keaton. Um, I can't remember if it was complete or not, but Squirrel – Squirrel was like so alone. He was he was building a campfire. He was having a nice a nice picnic. <laughs> like it was insane how open he was. And Nico could have underthrown him by twenty yards, and it and it still would have been a complete pass. Um, and then there was another play in the end zone. I can't remember who the receiver was, but he was like back in the back corner of the end zone. And again, Iowa forgot about him. Um, so what it made me realize was, you know, there's going to be some really good teachable moments for Nico in terms of protecting himself and also going through his progression and things like that. But I say all that to say for a freshman, his first game starting going against one of the best defenses in the country, you expect there's going to be some hiccups and bumps in the road. And I was so encouraged to see the poise that he played with. Our offense looked faster than it did all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I really think Kevin, you were starting the, the Milton for Heisman last year before the season. I don't know that Nico for Heisman. I don't know the next year. I don't know the next year is going to be the year, but I think Nico is a guy who could potentially be a a Heisman uh, front runner his junior year, um, assuming all things fall into place. Especially with the the team we're building around him, it was it was encouraging to watch him in person. He looks good. Sure. Well, ABC, they uh, Kevin mentioned they did throw up the Peyton Manning graphic during the game, but they also made the comparison. I forget which one of the uh, uh, play-by-play guys said they uh, that Nico reminded him a lot of um, Marcus Mariota. And say what you will about Mariota as an NFL player, but as a college player, Mariota is practically a cheat code who won a Heisman Trophy. So yeah. 1,000%. Nico could be the one to bring – that piece of vaunted hardware to Knoxville that has eluded so many of the greatest to ever play college football. Yeah. Just imagine him. And he's going to bring two of them in, and then he's going to be the first overall pick, and then he's he's going to come back and play because he's that good. (laughs) He, he, I mean, Nico's going to get, if, from an unbiased standpoint, I will say that one of the breakout, I think even like, a lot of the college football podcasts that I listen to, one of the players that everybody's talking about now is Nico. Um, I mean, he he lived up to the hype, very much so. And so I was I was very impressed with Nico. Um, Justin, I know you mentioned in Landon, you did James Pierce Jr. Yes, um, he had a great game. Dylan Sampson had a great game. Cam Seldon. And his Ooh, first yeah. game as RB2, he had a good game. He he went for 55 yards, but he showed that he's going to contribute next year as well. Circling back to Dylan Sampson, I was under the impression that he was long gone, that he was going to LSU. And I, I kind of feel like he's not going anywhere now. Um, I kind of feel like me and my buddy were talking about it today, and he was like, I think Sampson realizes that he's going to play a big part in this offense going forward. 
mm-hmm. and he and he's gonna. I, I think he's gonna stay, which is awesome because he was. I think. I think I said this maybe after the Florida game or after the Alabama game. I think he was the most dynamic running back that we had all season. Um, and just for some reason, I mean, I guess seniority didn't didn't play a whole lot. Um, I, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, go ahead, Lena. Okay, well, I'm. I I don't think it was seniority. I think it was a the game script, particularly in the Florida game, and B as good as uh, Samson is. The reason that the other two uh, running backs got playing time over him, uh, they understood the uh, the blocking scheme better yeah, than Samson. That's what I was going to say, yeah, and yeah. and You're from and uh, to give some credence to what you said, I do think there was some behind the scenes re recruiting of Samson uh, from the end of the regular season to the bowls, the bowl game. Yeah. Well, didn't he like post a picture on Instagram or like make a tweet saying going home and everybody knows that he's from Louisiana. And so we were like, everybody and their mothers was like, Oh shit. He's but then they, here. but then he also made another social media post of him and hype uh, with the caption of like saying something to the effect of like all good, uh, locked in a hundred percent or something like that. Yeah. After that, so like, yeah. uh, I think we like, gave him a bag. <laughs> well, I I do think uh, Spire and uh, and uh, the NIL business uh, has definitely been good to Samson. I'll just say that. Yeah, and we'll and, that for sure. and, uh, and and staying in that backfield, Cam Seldon makes me feel a whole lot better about that RB2 situation because paying attention to the Tennessee football team this year and how it was a three-headed monster attack uh, when two of the three are heading elsewhere to the pros um, and Samson being now your definitive one, you're going to have a lot of slack to be picked up. And Selden looked great in his first, I guess, instance of having to be a featured back. He did. Um, You know, I believe one of you guys said it that the Tennessee offense this actually I know it was one of you guys that said it the Tennessee offense this year was very run heavy and it was by design like mm-hmm. Heupel knew that he would have to run the ball a whole lot this year and he showed that he everybody thinks that Heupel is just a passing coach and he showed no I'm a running coach too I think that next year our offense is going to look a lot like it looked in 2022-2023 season um or I guess the 2021-2022 season when Hendon Hooker was there and we were just lighting it up. I I think that we're going to be back to scoring in the 40s and the 50s pretty regularly. And also, um, it'll be kind of like a combination of Hendon Hooker's season and Joe Milton's season combined where you're going to have a very dynamic running game and you're also going to have a very dynamic passing game uh, in 2024. And I think that's going to be very fun for uh, Tennessee fans. I just want to I want to skip over the national champ the semifinals of the national championship, and I just want to go into our big discussion, which is I mean we'll come back to the semis, don't worry. Um, but I do want to skip over since we're talking about Tennessee, just keep it with Tennessee. I guess we just put a bow on uh, their twenty twenty three season, um, and we could just go over go through everything. Uh, the overall grade of the season. Um, I, I gave this this year a C plus. Uh, I think at the beginning of the year, I said uh, it's either going to be eight and four in a rebuilding season or or <laughs> undefeated. <laughs> you might <laughs> have 
<laughs> a lot jokes of wiggle room you, that you gave yourself there, dude. <laughs> jokes on you, Kevin. Um, we did go eight and four, but I don't know that it was a rebuilding season. Um, uh, finished nine and four, of course, with the bowl game win. Uh, but a C plus, um, and the reason it was a C plus was I did take into consideration uh, that bowl game win and and how the team uh, performed in the Citrus Bowl against Iowa. Um, so I landed on a C plus. Justin, what did you give the Tennessee Vols on their report card? Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably, but you're you're probably right in the neighborhood with a C plus. I I think that this team underachieved a little bit um, whether it be because of limitations on offense or maybe some failures uh, at some critical times on the defensive side but we it just seemed like we never put together or rarely put together a a, a four-quarter complimentary football game the loss in the swamp really sticks heavily uh, in my craw I also really I, I it pains me the way we sort of squandered the opportunity that we had in Tuscaloosa as well, as well, because I feel like if we just play a solid game, not even a great game, but a solid game after halftime, um, we had a chance to win that football game. And then Alabama's not even in the playoffs. So, you know, last year uh, in, in 2022, I feel like a lot of the breaks went Tennessee's way, but I also feel like we made those opportunities happen with, with talent and coaching and this year um it slipped a, a little bit so yeah i think c plus is about right yeah landon what do you think slightly more optimistic um i came into this season saying it was going to be eight and four nine and three maybe outside shot at ten and two but i more realistically was leaning more towards the eight and four nine and three camp so i'm gonna say uh obviously, obviously. didn't reach the Sorry, got got feedback there. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit more positive, maybe a little bit more easy on the grading. I'm going to go B minus B for this season. Um, clearly didn't reach the heights that they did last season with Hendon Hooker under uh, center. Uh, maybe um, the expectations were maybe slightly overinflated by some uh, expectations that certain players didn't live up to. And that's why some people were throwing out 10 and two, 11 and one undefeated. Uh, Listen, but I'm, I'm still going to say this is an overall positive season, a positive step for this Tennessee football program. Josh Heupel in year three now with the bowl games is averaged nine wins in his first three seasons as the head man, as the football coach at the University of Tennessee. Um, this is a program that is trending upward and trending upward at a sharp trajectory. So uh, give me B minus B. I like it. I like it. Um, in my defense, I did have Joe Milton winning the Heisman. So, well, that's and where al- the undefeated season came from. And also, in your defense, there was a lot of people that thought that Joe was going to have a much different season than he ended up having. So, so you are not alone on that island, there, bud. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to stay with you, Landon. Your highlight of the season, what what you're going to think back and think fondly of in the 2023 Tennessee Volunteers campaign has to be that South Carolina game uh, when yeah, I fun. was. Going back over this season, um, I had to remember the emotions from every game 
that Tennessee played. And that A&M game that they played at home was good. It was a, it was a very different game that Josh Heupel and his coaching staff and the players figured out a way to win. It, a very unhypel game that they figured out a way to win. But everything about that South Carolina game, um, uh, being able to stick it in the uh, in the craw of that. Uh, do you know who my dad is? Nerd Shane Beamer, and then uh, and then his quarterback crying. Well, you know, good for them. That's their Super Bowl. With the way Nealon was rocking that night, uh, with Kamal Haddon getting that pick six, it's like that is that is a clip that I just watched on replay the week after that game. Um, and if I remember correctly, that's the game that they broke out the uh, the uh, black unis for, right? Yes, I think you're right. Yep. Yeah, so 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 everything about that South Carolina game, even though South Carolina ended up not being a super good team, anytime you can embarrass Shane Beamer, got to love yeah. it. And especially <laughs> coming off the way uh, that they pretty much danced on our graves two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that South Carolina game was very fun to watch. Uh, just a good old-fashioned beatdown. Justin, what was your highlight of the season? <laughs> this is going to seem like I'm piling on, but it's fun. Um, mine was going to Lexington and squashing the dreams of the Kentucky Wildcats Jesus like Christ. we've done year <laughs> yes. after year after year. Um, remember all the talk you were giving me about Ray Davis going into that game, Kevin? And I was like, fuck Ray Davis. He's not going to do anything against us. It was a rough year for me, okay? <laughs> And and I was like, I was like, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I don't care who they've got on their team. I don't care who the coach is. They're still Kentucky. We're still Tennessee. And we're going to teabag them on their home field. And we did. And it felt good. Jalen Wright ran for 120 in that game. Ray Davis ran for 42. Suck it, Wildcats. Don't forget that Dylan Sampson drive, too, to seal the game. Yeah. Yeah, that that was one of the one of the many times I was happy to be wrong uh, this season. So um, I do remember I picked Kentucky in that game, and, and I got yeah, a lot of did. shit for it. But you know, hey, I, I was wrong, so Tennessee could win. That's what it boils down to. Also, I, I, I just want to point out, Petty Justin is my favorite Justin, especially when Petty Justin is going after Kentucky. It's 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 just the best thing. It is '90s era. WWE. I love it. I love it. Fuck Ray Davis. I was like, oh, right. Man. Yeah. Inject can, that in can, my vein. can we put that on a t-shirt? Actually? No, no, we don't need to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Justin, just for the record, I need this next fall oh, all I'll season long, not just I'll Kentucky all season long. I tried to Oklahoma, gas y'all up before every Jackson game. Honor. I tried. Hey, Buddy, um, you're the biggest nigga ball. I know. <laughs> Hey, so here's one of the things that I uh, I thought was pretty funny. I watched a video that Tennessee posted. You know, they always do a great job with their social media and their and oh, their yeah. video team. Their video team's great. Undefeated. They posted they posted like a, a compilation video of like all the highlights from the Citrus Bowl, and one of it was um, Nico going through the the vol walk. And the video that they posted has a guy in a Tennessee shirt that says "fuck around and find out." <laughs> Can that just be the team's mantra for next year? I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I need to find find that video. I haven't seen it. That's Um, incredible. Pretty good. I will say uh, my highlight for the season, surprisingly, it has been mentioned. Um, Landon, I did similar to how you did, thought about, you know, my emotions in every game and how I felt in every game. That first half of the Alabama game was 
just everything was going right. The offense finally looked like they were clicking. We, I mean, I had people at my house, and I was like, buddy, you, don't light them yet, but go ahead and take them out because I Start feel up. really good. Yep. Mm-hmm. We were on cloud nine. We were, Justin had sent the stream yard invite. He was like, we're recording. We're good. <laughs> yep. we're, we're, we got this in the bag. Um, and, and I felt that was, I think that was probably the best half of Tennessee football all season aside from the Citrus Bowl. Um, we, we were just clicking on all cylinders and we made Alabama look atrocious that first half. Um, and so I was, I was very, that, that's a fond memory that I'll have of this season. And that'll lead me right into the low light of the season. Um, talked about the highs. Now we got to talk about the lows and I guess I'll go first. The low light of the season for me was not the second half of the Alabama game. It was the Florida loss for multiple reasons. We lost to the worst Florida team in the last decade. We we may never win in the swamp ever. Um, that place is a house of horrors. It's cursed. I end up in a ditch face down in my own puke. I mean, it was just a, a, an atrocious night that I don't want to think about ever again. So... The low out of the year, 100%, is the Florida loss for me. Uh, Justin, what is your low light of the season? I mean, you you took mine. So just to, to have a little variety here, it would be uh, allowing that nerd Drinkwitz to beat us in Columbia. I, I realize Missouri ended up beating a, a much depleted Ohio State team um, in the Cotton Bowl, but... Yeah, I don't want to lose to Missouri, especially, you know, and let that guy run his mouth and talk about standing on business. Next year, do we play Missouri next year? No, we, we do not. Damn it. You're right. Nope. Yeah, so we got to listen to the nerd talk about it. And, you know, to this day, I know other people are saying that. I still don't even know what standing on business means. He doesn't know what it he means. That's the worst part. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't understand it. Uh, standing on business? What? Like, I don't know what that means, and, it, and it's gone too long. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I'm going to do while, while we while you guys talk about you know the Missouri game. I'm going to do a quick Google search of what does standing on business mean, so that I can have. I a, think if I had to guess, in based on context clues, I think it just means we back our stuff up, like we we walk the walk kind of thing. Stand your ground. What does he mean by standing his ground? I guess I after two years of hype dropping a 60 burger on him, he's like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> loser. Nerd. Oh, well, uh, Kevin, while you're looking up uh, what stuff means, you need to look up what Reese Davis uh, thinks lank means. Did y'all see that clip? <laughs> he said, he said, what did you say? what did you think it means? <laughs> Let a naysayer know, he says. <laughs> Pat McAfee saying, that's not what I thought it meant. That is was. not what I thought it meant. In the middle <laughs> of his... God, that was so funny. And you know that Bob Iger was like, please stop talking, please stop talking, please stop talking, please stop talking the entire yeah. time. 
That was so funny. And for the record, there's no way it means let a naysayer know. Absolutely. There is zero percent chance. There is zero percent chance. No way. Half those guys don't even know what naysayer means. So I was like, there's no That was Kevin that said that. I just want to make that clear. That was Kevin that said that. I mean, I know you guys don't go to school, so (laughs) whatever. Once again, Kevin said that. All right, Landon, what was your low light of the season? <laughs> yeah, before uh, b- before Pat McAfee gets thrown into another lawsuit higher in Rodgers, uh, my lawsuit, even though you didn't steal it, is going to also be the Florida game. It still to this day blows my mind how this Tennessee team found a way to lose to that Florida game. But to, I guess, change it up a little bit, I'll say specifically the second quarter of that Florida Mm. game, because the first third and fourth quarter of the Florida game, Tennessee played pretty dang good, but it was the second quarter of that game where Tennessee just completely pissed down their legs and they could not do anything right. That ETN run still just befuddles me where where Kamal Haddon instead of tackling with you know his arms decides to throw his shoulder and almost project him further down the field and 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 goes on to score this long touchdown and then after that it's like Tennessee just dug themselves in a hole that they kind of started to try and maybe think of dig the dog and the game's over okay but that that Florida loss still just sticks in my craw and like you said it's like I'm going to believe, like, for the longest time, I said on the radio, I'll believe Tennessee can beat Florida when I see it. And thankfully, here up at Neelan, last couple years, six-ish years, we've seen it a couple times. But I will believe that Tennessee can beat Florida in the swamp when I see it. Because I think Casey Clawson is the last Tennessee quarterback that has defeated Florida in the swamp. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he is. And that was like, what, 2001, 2003? 20 years ago. It's been two decades since we won in the swamp. God bless. mm. Yeah. Um, The bright side is that that might have let Sunbelt Billy keep his job another year. Um, yeah, true, yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Much like, uh, much like Jay wants Mark Stoops to never lose his job. I don't. I never, ever, ever want uh, uh, Billy Napier to lose his job. Me either. He's he. I think he's the best coach that Florida's ever had. He's running <laughs> a A plus program. They're a clean program. Nobody's going to prison. Nobody's yep. murdering people. You know they are a. Which I mean, for program. Florida, that's an improvement, as we found it out. Is. You know they're they're wearing matching socks. Um, Sunbelt Billy, you are doing a fantastic job in Gainesville. Keep up the good work. If you uh, want to improve it, go con- get Ron Zook back. Yeah, yeah, lifetime contract. <laughs> um, all right, let's go back to him to to good stuff. Um, two players that impressed you this season. Uh, I will let I will let Landon start because I feel like Landon's got a couple of his choices taken away. Uh, so I'll let him start. Two players that impressed you this year. I think we're going to have the same two, but four years. Okay. Um, my first one, even though I did just literally bag on him in my low light of the year, I got to give it to Kamal Haddon. Kamal Haddon could have very easily taken his ball and gone home, so to speak, because you have to remember at one point during player introductions in Neyland Stadium, some Vol fans outright booed him because they were tired of Kamal Hatton and his performance. 
after that, before his injury, he turned his performance around. I already name-checked uh, his pick six against South Carolina, and before he got hurt, he was he was one of, if not the best part of Tennessee's defense and was a was a stop on Tennessee's defense where up until, I guess, he, for the lack of a better term, got his shit together, was a liability. So I applaud what Kamal Haddon did in his last year on Rocky Top. It didn't start out well, but he he pulled it together and improved himself. So Kamal Haddon, you are one of the players that impressed me this year. Yeah, that, I think that's a good pick. That's not who I thought you were going to say, but I think that's a good pick. Uh, Kamal Haddon definitely turned his season around after that Florida game, like you said, um, and he, he was a bright side in that Tennessee secondary. Who's your second player that impressed you, Landon? Uh, well, much like uh, the uh, bowl game standout, I'm going to kind of break the format. It's the three-headed monsters in the backfield. Um, just such an amazing offensive output, especially when, like Kevin, you mentioned earlier, so many people automatically assume Josh Heupel's offense is this high-powered passing offense where, you know, you're going to throw it for anywhere from 350 to 500 yards a game. You have these three running backs who come by hell or high water. Some combination of the three is going to put together just an amazing uh, grinded-out offense. And through them, it did open up the passing game to the best of uh, what Joe Milton was able to do with his receivers. So I tip my cap to those three players kind of breaking the format. I like it. I like it. Um, Justin, your well, two players that impressed you this season. Even though I picked four. If, so. if Landon picks five, but you know, it's whatever. <laughs> four. Sorry, um, I can't count. <laughs> I, I'm going to do something a little different as well, just to kind of keep the variety in our, in our podcast here. And the first player I'm going to pick is Charles Campbell, place kicker for the University of Tennessee. Why? That's wild. <laughs> because, wow. number one, he did not miss an extra point all year. 49 of 49. He And, yes, of course, he missed a couple field goals here and there. From 20 to 29, he was 9 of 9. From 30 to 39, he was 6 of 6. So from 40 in, he was perfect. He missed a couple between 40 and 49, and he was 0 for 3 over 50. But, you know, he he wasn't a guy that was ever known for his, his leg uh, for the distance. But, you know, you get him 40 yards in, and this guy doesn't miss. I feel like, for me, he was a bit of a question mark coming into the season, coming from Indiana. I didn't know anything about him. and um you know, he, he he surprised me. He did a great job, so I was proud of him. And he was a he was a surprise player for me this year. I like that. That's a that's a different pick. Good uh, a good pick. Um, I'm trying to see is he is he coming back next year or he was a senior. I think I don't know if he gets a COVID year or not. I, I he may he may be graduating. I I do not know. Yeah, I think um, I'm looking real quick great podcasting that we're doing well, while now. you look that up I, I jake good on you for giving shout outs to uh special teams because special teams are part of the team yeah and an yeah, unsung does have part the of the team i think he does have the opportunity to come back for a super senior season okay um well i hope so honestly he's only played four years. years so yeah he does have the opportunity to come back uh, okay so i think that'd be nice that'd be a a nice super senior kicker to come back and play 
uh, would would be pretty good next year. And yeah, like you said, he hell for a lot of the season he was our best offense because we couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Um, so okay, uh, we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Uh, um, but who's your second player that impressed you, Justin? Surprise player number two, Jackson Ross, the punter. From the Melbourne, the Australian legend. The Australian. Le- Listen, I know he. I know he shanked his first punt against Iowa, but for the year, he averaged forty-two and a half yards per kick. There were a couple that he absolutely nailed this year with his rugby style of punting. He's a freshman. He had never played at this level in football before, and we just threw him out there to the wolves. We punted more this year than maybe we expected to fifty-five times, but. I mean, honestly, I thought he was solid. Our our special teams since Heupel's been here have not been a weakness. They've they've at least you know been solid to good uh, since Heupel's been here, and so I think that he's he's earned our trust in picking the guys that are responsible for these sorts of specialties. So Jackson Ross, my hat is off to you. Good day, mate. Yeah, I, the freshman part of that is is very. Um, I remember earlier in the season when they said he was a freshman, I was very shocked yeah. by that because he does not play like a freshman. He's a he's a great punter um, and, and a weapon that I hope we don't have to use a whole lot going forward, but it's nice to have in the back pocket. Absolutely. Um, uh, surprise, surprise. I'm surprised you guys didn't pick these two guys. I went total chalk here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two players that impressed me, uh, Dylan Sampson, mm-hmm. of course, um, I said, you know, multiple times I thought that he was he was our best playmaker out of the backfield, and and I think that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, and I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. Um, being very excited for what Dylan Sampson does during his tenure on Rocky Top, and the breakout star for me, uh, James Pierce Jr. I mean, the dude came out of nowhere this season and was, I believe he was All SEC first team. Am I correct, or was he All SEC second team? Um, second team, I think, but don't quote me on that. Cause I remember yeah. when, when the SEC teams got, uh, released, there was some uproar on Rocky top that nobody, uh, in orange got picked for a first team. Yeah. I, I'm looking now. Um, well, while you look that up, it's like, particularly on James Pierce in the bowl game when they're like James Pierce with the interception and he's going to, it's like, wait, James Pierce, like that James Pierce, yeah, I like. He was first team. Oh, all right. Well, good on him then. Yeah, according to PFF, uh, PFF off all SEC team, he was he was first team. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Lyndon. I mean, even in the bowl game, his his pick six, uh, it wasn't it wasn't surprising to me. And then I saw the replay and was like, this dude is a defensive end and was dropping back in coverage. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> dropping back in zone. Yeah. I was like, like, you know, like he does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It reminded me a lot of something that Derek Barnett used to do when he would drop back in coverage occasionally um, on, on, you know, screen passes to, to running backs or, or like a out route to a tight end or something like that, how he would drop back. And so I was, I was like, if you're getting comparisons, if you're reminding me of Derek Barnett, that's a, that's Mm -hmm. a good thing to remind me of. Yeah. You're Um, doing something right. Yeah, so James Pierce Jr., Dylan Sampson, hats off to both of you guys. You guys impressed me a whole lot this season. Um, And I'm going to go first on the disappointment players because I've been looking forward to this. 
how many weeks are in this season? 12? I think I've been looking forward to this for about mm, nine weeks. Um, I looked at the Florida game. I was looking to see when we played Florida. Uh, Joe Milton, my man. <laughs> you hot. You, uh, I, you listen, you were a great leader on Rocky Top. Uh, you clearly loved it here. Some of the fans liked you. I was high on you this year, and then you didn't just drop the ball. You fucking spiked the ball um, and then buried the ball and then ran the ball over with a two-ton truck and then stomped on it and, and did as many. You did like the Oklahoma, I believe it was, no, it was Arizona, the Arizona sideline when they had the sword and they stabbed the balls with the sword on the turnover. That's what Joe Milton did uh, to my Heisman. Uh, and my expectation of Joe Milton this year. Um, I, I'm very I'm very impressed that you can throw an orange 100 yards. You can probably throw a football 100 yards too. You just can't hit anybody with said football. Um, so good luck in the NFL. I, ho- I hope you do great in the NFL. I've long said that I do think that Joe Milton is going to be one of the best balls to, get, to go in the NFL. I think an NFL team is going to draft him. They're going to fall in love with his arm, and it's just going to click. Uh, that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, because the talent's there. I don't know what it was. He just couldn't do anything. Um, except for like the South Carolina game, the first half of the Alabama game and against UConn, um, which that ain't saying a whole lot. So Joe Milton definitely disappointed me. And then the second player, good old stone hands himself, keeping it on the offense. Romel Keaton, you, it where do i start um it's either a spectacular catch or the ball just hits hits him in the face mask and he drops it or hits him in the nine and he drops it uh and unfortunately we didn't have a whole lot of spectacular catches from ramel keaton this year so a very disappointing season from keaton a very disappointing season from milton both of those guys had high expectations um from me especially and maybe that's my fault. Maybe I shouldn't have set my expectations so high, but neither one of them got to it. So they disappointed me. Uh, Landon, who disappointed you this year? Okay. Once again, I'm kind of going to break format. Uh, the receiving core with a few caveats. I'm not going to include Brew McCoy in here because Brew McCoy, before his injury, was carrying his weight. I'm not going to uh, include Deontay Thornton in here because even though he did start slowly, he was starting to come on once he found his spot, but again, he got injured. Other than that, the receiving core this year, no, I'm not even going to say pardon the pun here. I think pun intended really dropped the ball um, in some very critical moments. Um, I know everybody loves Squirrel White. I think that might be because his first name is Squirrel because it's fun to cheer for a dude named Squirrel. Um, If you take Brew McCoy out of the equation, even if you take Deontay Thornton out of the equation, with the rest of the remaining wide receiving core as it was this past season, Tennessee has college wide receivers that Joe Milton was throwing to. If you looked at the four teams that played in the college football playoffs, if you look at Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas, every one of those wide receivers that their quarterbacks were throwing to, they weren't college receivers. They were NFL receivers. And if Tennessee wants to take that next step, 
That is the type of production. That is the type of players that need to show up in the orange and white in the receiving core. Hell, last season, that's who Hendon Hooker was throwing to because we have uh, Jalen Hyatt, who's now started seven games for the New York Giants this year. We have Cedric Tillman, who has started uh, three straight games uh, and contributed in more for the uh, uh, Cleveland Browns who are going to the playoffs this year. Those are the type of players that need to uh, step up and – Kevin, you mentioned him in specifics. Ramel Keaton. A few podcasts ago, I said there were some VFLs that even though I truly appreciate them giving their all for Tennessee, I will be glad when their time wearing the orange and white comes to an end. He is one of those. I have a colleague who works in sports who says that there are some leaders on this team who just flat out aren't that good, who are flat out not that talented. He hasn't told me this, but reading between the lines, I think Ramel Keaton might be one of these individuals he's referring to. It feels, yeah. like, a, it feels like a miracle whenever he catches the ball. And I'm never, we'll never forget the catch he made against Florida last year at home, right before uh, halftime. Uh, that that is that is a catch that will live forever in the memories of Vol fans, and we thank you for that. But when it's a surprise, when a wide receiver receives the ball successfully, something's wrong, and maybe maybe. I I mentioned Hyatt and uh, Tillman moving on. Maybe maybe Keaton was good in that role being the also featured player. Maybe the spot that he had to be moved in because of Brew McCoy's injury, because of Deontay Thornton's injury. Maybe the spot that he got pushed into was too big for him. And, and if that's the case, I appreciate the effort. But Ramel Keaton in specific, but the other wide receivers in the receiving court, I think were a disappointment for this Tennessee football team. Yeah. I mean, I just looked up his stats last year. He had 31 catches as what the, the wide receiver three, three, maybe four. Yeah. And coming into this season, I'm, I would assume, I I think he was probably wide receiver one coming into this season. Now that would have been brew still. Yeah. Either him or brew, but even, you know, even if he's not wide receiver one, he's at least wide receiver two. Mm-hmm. And he only caught four more balls, 35 receptions. And, and, and Brew got hurt. Yeah. And, and there, there, there was a much heavier focus on him this season. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you're catching four more balls in a, in a, in a role that it's almost double as important as what you were playing last year. And like you said, Landon, you hit the nail on the head. When it's surprising when a receiver receives the ball, that's that's a problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you only gave one though, right? Or you gave I, the entire wide receiver room? So I guess yeah, I yeah. I technically gave the entire wide receiving room, with the exception of Brew McCoy and Deontay Thornton. But I do have somebody else. Go ahead and hit me with your second one. Well, you already also talked about him, and it's Joe Milton. And mm. I don't nearly hold the uh, fire of a thousand suns uh, that you do, Kevin, to Milton. I think Milton had a good, not great season. I think some 
a lot of people, maybe myself included, had expectations that turned out to be unrealistic for Joe Milton coming into this season, particularly coming off the way that he performed in the second half of the South Carolina game, in the Vanderbilt game, and then the uh, Orange Bowl against Clemson last year. And that put into our mind, all right, cool, we're not going to miss a beat without Hendon Hooker. I don't think we realized just how good Hendon Hooker was in a fit to Josh Heupel's offense. But I also, again, I mentioned Jalen Hyatt. I mentioned Cedric Tillman. I don't think we realized how much this offense was going to miss those three players who are now in the NFL. Uh, Also, shout out to Darnell Wright, who who was a top 10 overall pick. Uh, This offensive line uh, at a lot of times did uh, Joe Milton no favors as well. Um, let's not forget that. And I also think the wide receiver struggles and Joe Milton struggles kind of go hand in hand because there were a lot of balls that Joe threw in there with the velocity of, you know, a bullet. And then there was also a lot of times where Joe would put it right on the money and the, and the receivers wouldn't follow through on their end of the, uh, equation and they would just drop it. But for better or for worse, Joe Milton I think ends up having a disappointing season because of expectations were set for him that I don't know if they were ever realistic because you have to remember when he came in to Tennessee from Michigan, he lost this job due to injury, but he never got it back from Hendon Hooker. And there was, there was a reason Joe Milton can ball out during practice, but as soon as the other team is standing across from you and the game starts, something Something happens. And Kevin, like you said, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to go to the combine. An NFL team's going to fall in love with all of his tangibles. He can throw uh, the ball to uh, Mars. And there's going to be one franchise that can convince themselves, I can make this work. I can figure out what didn't work at Michigan. I can figure out what didn't work at Tennessee. I can make this work at, uh, let's say, uh, Las Vegas. He's going he's, he's gonna to turn into a diamond in the rough here for the Raiders. But... As soon as the game starts, it's, it's, it's not the intangibles. It's what's in between the ears with Joe that I like it. it to me, he always seems perpetually a step too slow when it comes to the speed of the game. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just me. And and I, I think we complained a lot about the play calling of this offense throughout the season. Oh, they're just doing a lot of a lot of. Uh, dump out screens and, you know, a lot, a lot of quick short passes. I think this coaching staff realized um, this is, this is kind of what Joe is and this is Joe's strength for better or for worse. And this is the, and, and these are the plays that he can run that give us the best chance to succeed and really kind of handicapped this team. And we kind of saw in the bowl game when they took the uh, training wheels off and just said, all right, Nico, go do your thing. We saw this team move. Jay mentioned this was the fastest we've seen the offense move since Hendon was under offense. I mean, this is the fastest uh, they looked by far this year. So I I feel like I've said enough. Joe Milton, I don't want to be one of those fans that's applauding the fact that you are no longer a Tennessee volunteer. You are not one of the Vols that I am like, Okay, I've I've seen enough of you. Thank you, but 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 goodbye. I appreciate everything that you gave for Tennessee, but I I think the some expectations were put on you that maybe weren't realistic this season. Yeah, I think 
that that's a big part of it. The expectations were high. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be happy when he's gone because I do appreciate what he did here. And there's no doubt about it. He was a leader while he was here. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I'm I'm looking forward to next year with Nico. Uh, Justin, who disappointed you this year? Two guys. Yeah, I mean, you've really, both of you have already covered the 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 main ones. I, I, I think I'm just going to say, um, just from a play calling perspective, a, a scheming perspective, that my disappointment was we didn't utilize McAllen Castles better. That's a good one. Um, that's my disappointment this year because I think that we saw, and I mean, Nico knows how to find him with the ball. He threw two touchdown passes to him in in very short work. Um, but I think we had a, a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential with McAllen Castles um, to do some things. And you know, I'm just gonna say. Not utilizing the tight end because I think Jacob Warren's a guy who can catch the ball and make some plays too. So I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't utilize those guys, and I hope that maybe you know coming up in the new year, uh, next next season, maybe maybe that's something that that Nico uh, finds a way to leverage for this team because it opens up a whole new dynamic when you've got a a tight end out there who can block and then also he can run out and catch a ball. He can split out. You can do a lot more things with your offense. I think McAllen Castles is a guy who could have done that. And I don't put it on him um, that he didn't do more of that. I put it more on maybe Joe and maybe just the way we had to call plays this year. Yeah, that's a good one. I was wondering if somebody was going to say the play calling because I, I thought that the play calling was a little suspect from what we've seen. Um, but granted when we're, Working with what we're working with, like you kind of said, Landon. Um, maybe, maybe they knew what they were dealing with. Uh, real quick, because we're coming up on time to talk. Uh, we, I do want to wrap up the uh, semifinals. Um, real quick, if you could take one of the four losses, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and turn it into a win, which one are you going to turn into a win? I will start with you, Landon. Florida. I can, as, as, as much as it pains me to say this year, I can understand losing to that Missouri team and that dork uh, Eli Drinkowitz because Missouri was a hell of a good team. But Florida, still for the life of me, I do not understand how they lost to that team. Yeah, yeah same for me. No, no reason to for <laughs> add anything to it. It's the same for me. I said Missouri uh, just because as much as the Florida loss hurt, um, that's kind of like expectation now. And that Missouri loss is like, we don't lose to Missouri of all the teams. Like we don't, we don't lose to Missouri. And so uh, losing to that nerd and not, and especially knowing that we don't get the opportunity to, to beat him next year. Like he can talk about it next year. And then I don't know when we play them again. Um, that, that does kind of leave a sour taste in my mouth. Um, so, that puts a bow on the Tennessee season. I do want to talk about the the national champ, the playoff semifinals. Uh, that'd be a little bit longer episode, but it's okay. It's the first episode of the new year. Got to start somewhere, right? I give um, you 10 minutes. I'm starving over here, Kevin. I know. Michigan and Alabama. Uh, we Both these games were fantastic games. I they do really think were. That, that they were in the four-team playoff lifespan. I think they were like the the best day of semifinals 
that we've had, which is fitting because it's the last day of the four-team uh, uh, semis. Uh, but I think both these games, one-possession games, um, coming down to the wire, both came down to the last play. Michigan wins in overtime. They beat Alabama 27-20. to 20. Um, To me, the Wolverines, Wolver cheats, as Justin likes to call them, Honor Stallions was in attendance for this game um, in the stands, though, not on the sidelines. Uh, for me, they earned a lot of respect beating Alabama because I thought Alabama was going to come in here and just roll them over. Um, and Blake Corum, he had a great game. He only ran for 83 yards, but though he made those 83 yards count. Uh, big time, big time yards. J.J. McCarthy had a, had a good game. Uh, I think both the quarterbacks kind of struggled in this game, but McCarthy... Uh, a note that's been going around a lot is that when when the lights got brightest in that fourth quarter, Alabama was up, and and when the lights got brightest, one quarterback was struggling in Jalen Milrow, and one quarterback had poise in J.J. McCarthy. And you could tell who had been there and who had, you know, the faith in his team. Um, and And... It it was McCarthy, and he he led Michigan down the field late. I believe it was like with a minute left or something like that when they scored, um, to to tie the game, and then that overtime drive. He, I mean, granted it wasn't all him; a lot of it was Blake Corum, but two plays I think is all it took for Michigan to score um, on that vaunted Alabama defense. So J.J. McCarthy had a great game. Blake Quorum had a great game. Uh, and, and Michigan moves on. Um, real quick, I do want to talk about Tommy Reese's play calling in overtime. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was bad. That was bad, bad. Uh, the Alabama center has, has now entered the transfer portal. Um, who had... <laughs> Five, I believe it was five or six low snaps, and I think he had a, a string of three in a row. <laughs> um, I, I think Nick Saban said, "If you don't get out of here, I'm going to execute you at the 50 yard line." And it's um, an Alabama, and and he's the Alabama coach, so he legally could have gotten away with it too. Yeah, so. he could have 100 percent gotten away with it with the NIL. Um, he would have got a promotion probably, um, especially from those crazy fans down there. Um, but. Alabama, uh, Tommy Reese. I understand that uh, that Milrow didn't have a whole lot of time uh, at all in the game, but you know that last play when you're what like five yards out and it, once again a low snap, just and just panicked. I mean, Milrow. I watched an angle of it that he had a running back that was open in the flat that probably would have scored, but he you could. I would love to see an angle of seeing Milrow's eyes when that snap comes because I'm sure they were the size of baseballs um, when he looked up. And, I mean, he just ran. Didn't even run to the right or the left. Just ran right into his offensive line. (laughs) Uh, Looked terrified. Um, So, Michigan moves on. Washington up. I guess it was an upset. Texas was favored. Washington upsets Texas, uh, 37-31. Michael Penix goes for 430 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Quinn Ewers didn't have a bad game, uh, but a little too little too late there at the end, and Washington's defense stands up on business, I guess you could say, if you're hip 
um, and, and secures the win for the Huskies. Uh, what do you guys think about this national championship, Michigan and Washington? How, how, who do you favor in this game? So I just want to jump in real quick and say, first of all, I have been trying to get you guys on the Husky train all year long, and mm-hmm. you have denied me every single time. But they are 14-0 and now going to the national championship. Um, when are you going to believe in Washington is the question. When is that going to happen? Are you still going to deny that they deserve to be there and are the, maybe one of the two best teams in the country at this point? They beat Oregon twice. They beat Texas. It doesn't really matter margin of victory. They won the games they had to win against good competition, and Penix has been dominant all year long. That passing game is unbelievable. Michigan's about to face an, an offense they didn't face against Alabama. So I – I'm telling I'm riding with Washington till the end. I'm I'm on the Husky train. Purple rain, baby. It's happening. Washington does look really good and they've won every game that they've had to. They've uh answered every bell uh that they've had to and and they've answered every like 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 Jay said anytime it is like, well, you know, Oregon's going to beat them. They they beat Oregon in the regular season. No, Oregon's a double digit favorite in the champion in the uh, conference championship game. They they beat uh, Oregon. Uh, Texas is the better team. Texas will beat them. They beat Texas. Um, that said, that Michigan defense still looks really good, and I I I, I really do not want Jim Harbaugh and Michigan to win a national championship that they will inevitably have to vacate. Uh, But as we all know, I mean, even if they vacate the championship, we know who won. Um, uh, But like you pointed out, we have been going against Washington this entire season. So I don't want to jump on the bandwagon now and uh, juju them as uh, Kevin says. So I'm going to say Michigan wins here. So Justin's been trying to get us on Washington all year. And I'm going to be honest, man. I've been against Washington pretty much all year. I, th- I think I picked Oregon both times. You did. I know I picked Texas this time. You did. <laughs> um, I thought Texas was going to win it all. Um, I'm picking Michigan. <laughs> of course you think. are. And that's fine. I- <laughs> because that's fine. Because that's been the narrative. And that's the way things have gone. And come next Tuesday or whenever we record next week, when Washington has hoisted the trophy. I I expect some sort of like a, a written, um, not apology, but like a recognition of the fact that like I have the dominant uh, knowledge and understanding of the college football game. Well, we I mean, I did this. win the, I did win the pick <laughs> competition already. So slow your roll yeah. there, Pujo. You've already, <laughs> you've already, you, you won the pub dubs in the college football season. You won the pick and the bowl game pick them. Uh, we know that you're the college football mind. We know that I've become a freaking idiot since Landon came on the podcast. So we <laughs> Landon took all your brains. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. And for the record, um, I'm picking Michigan for the reverse jinx on them. Okay. Well, yeah, like, but. like, like in my heart, I am pulling for Washington because as a Tennessee fan, there's a lot of parallels. Both of our stadiums are on the water. Both yeah. of our mascots are adorable puppos. Uh, yeah. Michael Penix is practically a VFL. I mean, right. and 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 Michigan sucks. So there's that. 
Hey, I appreciate all of that. And then I won't go as hard as you as I will on Kevin next week. Good. Thank you. I am um, cheering for Washington because I do not want to see Michigan win. That being said, I just kind of feel like Michigan's a freaking team of destiny at this point. How, like, how could you not say that? That's about like Washington. saying the Empire is the is the team of destiny in Star Wars. I know. It's it's insane. It's insane. I know. I just I was so wait, convinced. he's a Yankees fan, of course. It makes sense now. Yeah, the Empire is a team of destiny. Um I I was so convinced that Alabama was just going to stomp Michigan. And Michigan winning the way that they did with the defense that they did and J.J. McCarthy's poise just tells me that, you know, they just – well, sometimes the team just won't be denied. Let me ask you this question because I, I, I'm listening to what you say, and in my mind I'm going, well, you saw the muff punt that almost resulted in a turnover at the goal line where Alabama would have scored. It would have been the end of the game. That would have been it. Mm-hmm, and then correct. is Michigan still a team of destiny? They were inches away from losing that game. And it went to safety too. So yes, you are correct. I mean, if I will say this, if Alabama won and was playing Washington, to my defense, I would have picked Alabama. Bull. Yeah, I know exactly. I I know you would. I was about to call bullshit. I thought you were going to say Washington. (laughs) I would have picked Alabama. I don't think there was a scenario that I think that I would think that Washington was going to win the national championship. I didn't think they were going to be there. Um. So you know, wait. I do want to say, like, I'd love to go back and listen to episode one of this podcast because I am 90% sure that I had Michigan and Washington in the finals. I'd like to, I we need to go did. back and check, but I think I did. I think you did, which is a uh, Nostradamus move. You should have placed a bet on it. I yeah, know, me too. I, 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 I definitely had that on episode one as well. It just didn't make it to air. <laughs> yes, we yep. had to cut it. Mm-hmm. Um, all my picks were incredible on episode one and all of the ones right. before I joined on air undefeated. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do remember that my national championship was Florida. No, it was Notre Dame. Yeah. And in Tennessee probably. <laughs> I think it was Notre Dame in Tennessee. I think it yeah, was Notre Dame in Tennessee and you just wanted both teams to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know my playoff was Florida state, Notre Dame, Tennessee, and I think Ohio State, I think. Uh, yeah, Ohio State. Yep. Well, you uh, almost got one. Oh, for four. Yeah. <laughs> I got robbed of one playoff team. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Florida State thinks that they got robbed. No, I got robbed. Yeah, Kevin um, got robbed. So well, I, I, it, yeah. it's it's okay it's all right i you know next season we'll you're, we're gonna hit the reset button on on all the picks we'll go back into it and you know i i guess maybe you know if i pick first you can just follow what i do kevin and then you won't lose what i'll do i'll you know we're gonna see a common theme when we do the pub dubs from now on justin's gonna be picking first every time justin <laughs> will be picking before me and i'll just be like you know what I wasn't going to pick this team, but Justin picked them, and Justin knows everything about sports, so it's Justin. <laughs> I'm going with them. He <laughs> is like, the sports master, so yeah. I, That's I just want to. I just saw this um, on Instagram, and I want to read it here as my parting shot on Michigan. Uh, according to JJ McCarthy, eighty oh, percent of the teams in college football steal signs. We actually had to adapt because in 2019 and 2020, Ohio State was stealing our signs, which is legal. We had to get up to the level they were at and make an, an even playing field. So Michigan's yeah, commentary now is that, yes, we're doing it, but so is everybody else. Just FYI. Yeah, that's do what it's not a good look. 
It's not it's not a good look. JJ McCarthy said that eighty percent of teams are stealing signs and they just had to level up. Yeah. Because Ohio State was stealing their signs last year. Or in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Yep. Um so it's not a good look for Michigan, but I do think that Michigan wins. And I do think that in his post game press conference, Jim Harbaugh says, I'm going to the NFL, I'm not coming back here. Um but yeah. fine so, bomb said too. Yeah, so I, I will say that I'm with, with Paul on that. Um, and, and I think that Michigan wins and, and Harbaugh leaves. But we will see this week as, as the national championship uh, takes place and the college football season wraps up. So we do appreciate you guys listening this week. Um, thank you to Joe for producing our episode and making us sound good. Uh, his JMU Dukes got their ass handed to them in the bowl game, but at Heaven. least they got to go. Um, at least they got to go. Be nice. We're going to get cut off. (laughs) Guarantee it. That's going to be cut from the episode. (laughs) Um, but I do want to thank you guys for joining me, Justin and Landon, uh, as always a great conversation. Thank you listener for listening. Um, and be sure to interact with us. Give us your team's report cards. We want to know what you think of your team. And until next week, we hope you guys have a great week of NFL football. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Moonshine and Scoreboards. Moonshine and Scoreboards is a Tri-M production and is hosted by Kevin Scott, Landon Doan, and Justin Krutzinger. Our engineer is Joe the Engineer. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Podcast, or anywhere you get your podcast. You can email us at moonshineandscoreboards at gmail.com. Subscribe, tell a friend, and come back next week for all of the fun, the games, the moonshine, and, of course, the scoreboards. Thank you.